Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. Suffering without a support system, without anyone who's alongside you, feeling the weight, in the know, checking in, supporting, caring. Have you ever suffered alone? It's the absolute worst. And yet, this world is full of people who are experiencing just that. They're suffering alone. They don't know who to turn to. They've lost their support system. Maybe their friends have moved away or turned away or died or (coughs) they never had any friends to begin with. They don't know who they can trust. Their situation's too complicated to share with just anyone. They've been burned in the past. They're ashamed of their suffering, ashamed to ask for help. They're carrying too much pain. They're paralyzed. They're numb and just unable to reach out. There are a myriad of reasons that people end up suffering alone. Countless ways that people fall through the cracks and and they're just left without a safety net. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. But it is amazing how much the experience of suffering is changed simply by knowing that you are not alone in your suffering, simply by having someone care. That experience of Having someone check in on you and touch base and listen to you and understand you, believe your experience, carry the weight with you just a little bit. It can bring that that little bit of hope that you need, the catharsis, the emotional release, the perspective that you need in order to continue on your journey. Life is hard. It has a million versions of stress and distress and oppression. It's internal circumstances and external circumstances, anxiety, trouble of all kinds. And it all creates pressure and weight and burden. And some people carry their distress in a visible way. With some people, you can look at them And it's written all over their face. It's written all over their body. They are having a really hard time. And other people appear to be A-OK. Unless they told someone, no one would ever know how much they are suffering. So a quick discussion question. On Sunday, we chatted about this with one another. So reflect on this or, or chat with the person that you are listening along with. Here it is. People suffer alone for a myriad of reasons. So name one situation of suffering alone that you've witnessed. This isn't the time for like sharing other people's names, but just the situation where someone was suffering alone. Why is suffering alone 
so much worse. So go ahead, have that conversation. The scripture that we're continuing to look at today is a letter written to people who were suffering. Uh, It's the book of James. We're continuing in this series. And you could say that James isn't only written to people who are suffering, but in some ways you could say some of them might be suffering alone. They might feel like that. Uh, So just a little bit bit of the backstory. The letter of James is addressed to people who had been displaced. They are scattered. A hundred years earlier, the Roman general Pompey had taken land away from many Jewish peasants. And then Herod the Great came along. He hit the poor peasants with massive taxes. And it pushed any farmer, any landowner who was struggling right out of business. There was no such thing as a middle class in James' day. There were the few, the wealthy, the elite landowners with vast feudal estates, like only the top 1% of the population in ancient Palestine actually owned land, we're told. There was a very small merchant class, and then there was the majority poor. And it was a world of limited goods where The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. And so many poor people had lost their land to debt. Uh, Others lost their family members to debt slavery. And some people fled to escape it all. And so they were cut off from their religious and their social support systems. And they became outcasts in society in whatever new land they ended up in. And so they found themselves trying to survive in the world of day laborers, the the expendables. The labor pool was much larger than the jobs to be had, and so it created dynamics of competition among day laborers. And so they were people who were unable to rise very far from the ground. They were socially powerless. That's who James is writing to. Now, I just described a lot of suffering, and basically what I just named is just what we can glean from history. It has nothing to do with interpersonal suffering. It has nothing to do with family conflict or individual circumstances. So, James is writing to people who are suffering, and they've lost their support systems, and James says to them, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, These days... You've probably seen the meme that says, tell me without telling me. If you do anything on the internet, on social media, you've probably seen this go around like, like, 
tell me you're a mom without telling me. Tell me you're a parent without telling me. Tell me you're a teacher without telling me. Tell me you're a weightlifter without telling me. Tell me you grew up in the 80s without telling me. Well, James, if we were translating what James is writing here into our modern language, we might start it with, tell me you're a Jesus follower without telling me. If we're putting what he's saying in the common language, it might go something like this. James is saying, talk is cheap. Don't claim to love your neighbor if you aren't actually putting your money where your mouth is with those who are hurting and vulnerable right around you. Stop swallowing everything your favorite cable news station and social media algorithm is saying about why this world's messed up and who's to blame. Love real people who are vastly different from you in your neighborhood. Listen to them. Keep on loving them. That's real religion. The word religion, it has meant a lot of different things to different people down through the centuries. It's a word that is rich with collective rituals and ceremonies and stories and myths. And behind it all, religion is about what people think the proper expression of belief looks like. And James says, that proper expression of belief in Jesus can be reduced down to being a person who controls what they say. This is authentic and uncorrupted religion. You listen well, as James has been saying earlier. Remember, being created in the image of God means being created to listen. We looked at that a few weeks ago. An authentic and uncorrupted religion means being someone who has a social conscience. It's caring for orphans and widows, the socially vulnerable in their distress. You are with them, caring for them. It's a devotion to, to compassion. And finally, authentic and uncorrupted religion, James says, is keeping oneself unpolluted from the world. It's you don't swallow any cultural narrative whole. You are free from allegiance to the value system of dominant society. You, you don't swallow hook, line, and sinker any cultural narrative. Now, in the first century, the widows and the orphans that James is talking about were the socially powerless. They were the most vulnerable in society. That's who they represented. They were the most oppressed. They had no one to defend them, no safety net. They were helpless. Everyone took advantage of them. And when their life fell apart and when they fell between the cracks, no one was there to pick up the pieces. All throughout scripture, these same people, widows and orphans, that's God viewed authentic spirituality as caring for those people. This is who God was defending. This is who God wanted his people to defend and care for, was the, the socially powerless, the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner. And so authentic spirituality all throughout scripture 
it's never really about sacrifice or ritual. It's always about how God's people are treating the poor and the marginalized, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the outcast. And so James is telling these people who they have lost their ancestral land. They are scattered. They've lost their support system. And he's saying to them, look around, guys, because there are people around you who are suffering alone. You might feel like you're suffering or suffering alone. There are people around you who are suffering alone, and they have no one to turn to. And so James says that proper expression of belief in Jesus is to listen to those people and to be with those people and not to buy into what the dominant value system says about those people and about their worth. And so rather than simply not having a support system, James is saying you all should become a support system for one another. Now, if you look around in your own life, there are people all around you who can be characterized by distress. They're suffering alone. They're under tremendous pressure. They're rejected. They're marginalized. They're socially powerless. They're forgotten. They don't have a safety net. They don't have a voice. They're without a defender. They're without support. And James says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after these people in their distress. Now, James is not describing just one visit. He's painting a picture of being with these people, spending time with them, joining with them in their suffering and in solidarity. You know, it's amazing how much proximity to someone actually changes you. From a distance, the world of other people's suffering just looks like a world of issues. Like it's it's one color. All other suffering is monochromatic. So what I mean there is from a distance, every homeless person is the same. Uh, they're all one thing. Every depressed person is the same. They're all one thing. All poverty is caused by one thing from a distance. Every person from a distance is just an issue. And every issue from a distance has a one-size-fits-all solution. But if you happen to do what James is describing here and you begin to be with people who are in distress, if you spend time with people who are suffering, people who are socially powerless, and instead of just talking, spouting one-size-fits-all solutions, if you take to the time to bridle your tongue and listen, as James says, and if you believe their experience is real for them, and you stand with them on their side of the equation in solidarity, you, you look at the equation from their end, and if you stay alongside them and resist the temptation to back away because you can't solve their problem, if you stay engaged, it's amazing how you will be changed. You no longer see people as issues. 
You see names and faces and stories and expressions. You see the image of God in each person. And you begin to see the complexity. Rather than thinking every issue has a one-size-fits-all answer, you start to understand and appreciate people and perspectives that are vastly different from your own. You begin to see that God is working in that person better than you and beyond you, beyond any of your one-size-fits-all solutions. You begin to realize, oh, God is the one who knows what they actually need. And so what happens is you are changed by laughing with them and working with them and even worshiping with that person. And that suffering person becomes someone who you love. And it's ironic that you often start out connecting with someone like this, and you think you're the hero. You think you're the one who's offering the care and offering the help. But as time goes on, it becomes clear that in reality, you are the person who's receiving an education. You're the one who's learning and growing and changing. You're the one who's receiving a gift from this suffering person. And you realize that you had something you needed to learn from them. And through the experience, you begin to see the world differently. So another reflection discussion question. Have you ever started out thinking that you were teaching and helping someone else find their way? And then you realize that you were the one getting schooled? What did you learn? So take a moment, reflect on that, discuss that. Okay, let's talk about beginning to see the world differently. James says, religion that is pure and faultless is this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, when you become someone who controls your tongue, when you listen, when you care for the socially powerless and those who suffer alone, eventually you begin to realize that you don't want to be someone who swallows wholesale the narrative of any culture. Because you begin to realize, and people much wiser than me have said this, uh, I'm just sharing it. You begin to realize that every cultural narrative falls short. So every culture has aspects and similarities to Jesus and his kingdom, and every culture lacks some crucial element of Jesus and his kingdom. Like, so for example, there's a Fox News culture, and there's a CNN culture, and a Portland culture, and a Timber Unity culture, and a Latinx Hispanic culture, and an LGBT culture, and an immigrant culture, and a First Nations culture, and a good old boys club culture, sports culture, drug culture, impoverished culture, evangelical culture, deconstructing culture, 
white middle class culture, on and on and on and on. And every culture has a narrative and it has people who are elevated, people who are celebrated, people who are ignored, people who are marginalized or rejected wholesale. And whatever culture you align yourself with, we all have a tendency to swallow wholesale, hook, line, and sinker, whatever narrative that particular culture is telling us about what's important in life and what matters and how life should be organized and who our enemies are and why they should be feared and who should be elevated and celebrated, who should be ignored, marginalized, rejected, cut off. Nearly all media, nearly all propaganda is set up to attempt to get you to swallow a cultural narrative. And of course, we all like to be right. We all like to feel good about our decisions. And so it takes real discipline and intentionality to listen to other cultures and to face the ways that that culture is actually catching something from Jesus and his kingdom. And also to recognize how your culture, the culture you most closely align yourself with, is missing the way of Jesus and his kingdom in a place where other cultures are getting it right. To swallow that cultural narrative, hook, line, and sinker, or to reject a cultural narrative completely means to miss something of the kingdom of Jesus. Because every culture reflects much of the image of God and it lacks crucial aspects of Jesus and his kingdom. A lot of this wisdom here comes from Brian Ross. When you spend time listening, when you spend time caring for those who are distressed and suffering alone and socially powerless, especially if they're not from your culture, you begin to see how all of the various cultural narratives are all getting something right and they're all missing something. And so if you can do what James is talking about, which is controlling your tongue, listening well, being with people who the culture has kind of pushed to the side and listening, caring, being with them, you begin to see how diverse this world is. And you begin to see that no one fits a cookie cutter. No one fits the cultural narrative. They don't fit one mold, one category Nobody is just one thing. They can't be reduced to an issue. And so you begin to see how complex and beautiful this world is. And you begin to see how people from very different backgrounds are seeking God. And that God is meeting them where they are at. No matter what culture you come from, you'll begin to see your your culture with new eyes. And you'll begin to see, man, it just doesn't work to swallow a cultural narrative wholesale. You begin to see that to do that, to either swallow it or to reject a cultural narrative wholesale, is what James called being polluted by the world. It's swallowing one thing, rejecting something completely. So I want to close with one final image. We're going to end today by doing a spiritual 
oil check. Uh, an oil check, like on a car, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. You, you pull this dipstick out, and it shows you what's going on inside the engine. Because you can't see inside the engine, but you can look at the dipstick, and the dipstick tells you something about what's going on inside the engine. And so we're going to close with some spiritual dipstick type questions that we can use to, to check our own oil. These questions, they're like marks on a dipstick that show you where the oil is. Uh, so is, is the dipstick coming back and telling you that uh, right now you're going about your spirituality in a way that's just a complete waste of time? Or is it coming back telling you you can celebrate that your spirituality is something that God accepts as authentic and worth your while? So let's begin. Close your eyes for a moment. I want you to just think back on the last two weeks. Take a breath in. Let it out slowly. And ask the spirit of your creator to do his refreshing, healing, revealing, saving work in you. Here's the first question. In the past two weeks, when have your words been unrestrained? When have they ran wild? And when have your words been careful and thoughtful? Take a moment and, and think, reflect on that. As you think on those words, what do your unrestrained words that you've spoken show you about your interior life? Another question. In the past two weeks, did you check in with anyone? Would you check in on? Did you spend time listening or caring for someone who is under great pressure? Someone who was previously suffering alone? Someone who is socially powerless. Take a moment and reflect on that.
as you reflect on those times, consider what did that experience generate within you? What kinds of thoughts, what kinds of feelings? Were you anxious to move on, to get away? Were you completely present? Did you feel hopeless? What did that experience generate within you? Another question. In the past two weeks, when have you truly listened, not to evaluate, but to understand, really listened to someone who's not from the culture with which you most closely align yourself? As you reflect on that, what about their culture reflects Jesus in his kingdom? Can you name anything about that culture that you say, wow, that's pretty Jesus-y? And what about your culture is missing the way of Jesus and his kingdom? Reflect on that. What's this oil check showing you? What are these outward questions revealing about your inward reality? If you're realizing that your oil check is coming back kind of low, kind of unhealthy, don't let that push you away from God in shame. God is always desiring to to help us become the best version of ourselves, to birth something new within us, to help us become who we truly are. God isn't wanting to beat you up because you're saying, oh, my, my oil check is kind of low. He doesn't want to beat you up for who you've been. So invite the spirit of your creator to help you be who you are, to do his refreshing, healing, saving work in you. And ask God to show you some specific ways this week that you can lean into a spirituality that is authentic and worthwhile. A religion that is pure and is faultless. What would it look like this week if someone said, Tell me you're a Jesus follower without telling me you're a Jesus follower.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.